My name is Stone. I'm the youth pastor here at Revival. I have, <laughs> yeah, uh, I've had the blessing of speaking here um, a few times on Sunday mornings, and um, I just feel so blessed to have that opportunity. And I usually start with some like fun, engaging story or you know some icebreaker type thing, but um, I don't know. I just feel a uh, a heaviness. I feel like God just really wants to speak something important today, um, and I think He's going to speak powerfully and and maybe even in a unique way. Um, so a couple months ago, when Alex told me that I would be preaching today, um, you know, I kind of had an idea in my mind of what I wanted to talk about. And I made a rough draft of my sermon and everything, and I had one totally ready to go. And then God said, mm, that's not what you're going to talk about. Uh, so then I made another one, and the same thing happened. That process happened like three times. Um, and the problem was that I kept writing what I wanted to write. I kept preparing what I wanted to deliver. But God just kept telling me every single time I came up with a draft like, I have a message that I want to speak to my church today. So I'm excited to be able to deliver that. Just on Wednesday, I think it was Caleb who asked me what I was preaching about, and I told him something totally different. And I'm not even, I told you Jude. I don't have a single verse in Jude today, but that's all right. I had, in the middle of my most recent draft, I had a, a passage in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34, and as I was just going through that draft, that one passage is what stuck out to me so much. So today we're talking about Ezekiel 33 and 34. So we'll just dive right in. But first, some background on Ezekiel. He was a prophet, so the Lord would speak to him, and then he would give God's messages to his people. So that is Ezekiel's role, and um, this, everything is taking place um, during Judah's exile, which Israel, Judah, that you can take a Bible course on that if you want to. But um, so yeah, that's the background. We're going to dive just right in Ezekiel 33, verses 1 through 6. It says, Once again, a message came to me, me being Ezekiel, from the Lord Son of man, give your people this message. When I bring an army against a country, the people of that land choose one of their own to be a watchman. When the watchman sees the enemy coming, he sounds the alarm to warn the people. Then if those who hear the alarm refuse to take action, it is their own fault if they die. They heard the alarm but ignored it, so the responsibility is theirs. If they had listened to the warning, they could have saved their lives. But if the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people, he is responsible for their captivity. They will die in their sins, but I will hold the watchman responsible for their deaths. So it's the watchman's job to warn of the enemy's coming, right? And similarly today, we have pastors, we have really Christians in general, that's our job, right? To remain vigilant and to warn those around us, to warn other believers of what the enemy is doing, to warn of his attacks, and to... Um, really just convict each other, to call each other out, to say, hey, this is how the enemy is maybe attacking you. This is how the enemy is attacking us in general. This is something you are struggling with that 
that I notice, and God wants to convict you on that. So that's all of our jobs as Christians to be watchmen, to remain vigilant and warn each other of what the enemy is doing. And we'll talk, there's, in these passages, you'll see watchman, prophet, shepherd, all these are similar terms, and they all apply to us still today. So we'll just keep reading uh, verses 7 through 11. Now, son of man, I am making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. If I announce that some wicked people are sure to die and you fail to tell them to change their ways, then they will die in their sins and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. But if you warn them to repent and they don't repent, they will die in their sins, but you will have saved yourself. Son of man, give the people of Israel this message. You are saying, our sins are heavy upon us. We are wasting away. How can we survive? As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Turn. Turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? Why should you die? The watchman has the message, and he's telling the people, you're living in sin. He's telling the people, this is what you're doing, and God says not to do that. He's convicting the people. And it's their responsibility from that point on to decide whether they want to continue living in sin or if they're going to make that decision to repent and turn back to the Lord. And the church in America especially, I think is very guilty of a sort of feel-good Christianity. Right? We want to tell people all, all about the grace and all about the forgiveness, but it's a lot more difficult to tell people that you need to repent. It's a lot more difficult to say, hey, what you're doing is a sin, and you will be judged for that. That's uncomfortable. And that's what God told me to talk about today, and it's unco- it was uncomfortable writing this message, and it's going to be uncomfortable giving it, I'm sure, but it's important to share that. That is the entire purpose of the watchman. That's the entire purpose of even pastors today. Yes, talk about the grace and forgiveness that comes from the gospel message, but that's really irrelevant if we don't repent, if we don't turn back towards Christ. We can't be afraid to call people out on their sin. And we say things like, live your truth, do what makes you happy, all these sorts of things, be a good person, all that. But if what makes you happy is sin, if your truth goes against the truth, the word of God, it's sin. We need to call that out. But before I go any further, we talk a lot at Revival about grace plus truth equals transformation. Right, so we'll be talking a lot about the truth, but I do want to highlight the grace is important. And I think maybe, is it offensive to call people out on their sin? Yes, maybe, to those people. But is it necessary? Also yes. But there also has to be grace in that. The fruits of the Spirit, you can read in Galatians 5, uh, verses 19 through 23. It talks about fruits of the Spirit. Those are things like kindness, peace, gentleness, those sorts of things. We just talked about that in youth group. Um, So we need to have those things, but it's important to still also preach the truth 
as well. So moving on, verses 12 through 20. Son of man, give your people this message. The righteous behavior of righteous people will not save them if they turn to sin, nor will the wicked behavior of wicked people destroy them if they repent and turn from their sins. When I tell righteous people that they will live, but then they sin, expecting their past righteousness to save them, then none of their righteous, their righteous acts will be remembered. I will destroy them from their sins. And suppose I tell some wicked people that they will surely die, but then they turn from their sins and do what is just and right. For instance, they might give back a debtor's security, return what they have stolen, and obey my life-giving laws, no longer doing what is evil. If they do this, then they will surely live and not die. None of their past sins will be brought up again, for they have done what is just and right, and they will surely live. Your people are saying, the Lord isn't doing what's right, but it is they who are not doing what's right. For again I say, when righteous people turn away from their righteous behavior and turn to evil, they will die. But if wicked people turn from their wickedness and do what is just and right, they will live. O people of Israel, you are saying, the Lord isn't doing what's right. But I judge each of you according to your deeds. I judge each of you according to your deeds. So for Christians, that means, for better or for worse, pre-Jesus is forgotten. And then once we give our lives to Christ, then it's from that point forward on what we will be judged. And of course, there's repentance and, and forgiveness, but... If after the point of giving our life to Christ, we still go on sinning, we're still going to be judged based on that. We're still going to be judged according to our sins. He says, I will judge according to your deeds. And something else that stands out to me from that passage, the people are saying that the Lord isn't doing what's right. They're saying, God's in the wrong. I'm not in the wrong. God is the one in the wrong. And how often do we hear that? Not only from non-Christians, but even within the church. How often do we hear people say, God is in the wrong? And there's lots of different things that may lead people to that conclusion, but I think the biggest one is just we disagree with the law of God. We see things that God calls sin, and we try to twist Scripture so that we say, mm, that's not really what it's saying. We can still do this today. Maybe we try to convince ourselves that it was just a cultural thing of the time, and that's why it wasn't allowed, or things like that. But God's law is very clear. If you really sit and read it, he doesn't hide his laws. He's very straightforward. And he says, I will judge according to your deeds. We're going to keep moving. Ezekiel 33, 21 through 29. So this is Ezekiel talking again. He says, On January 8th, during the 12th year of our captivity, a survivor from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has fallen. The previous evening, the Lord had taken hold of me and given me back my voice, so I was able to speak when this man arrived the next morning. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, the scattered remnants of Israel living among the ruined cities keep saying, Abraham was only one man, yet he gained possession of the entire land. We are many. Surely the land has been given to us as a possession. 
So tell these people, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You eat meat with blood in it, you worship idols, and you murder the innocent. Do you really think the land should be yours? Murderers, idolaters, adulterers, should the land belong to you? Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. As surely as I live, those living in the ruins will die by the sword, and I will send wild animals to eat those living in open fields. Those hiding in the forts and caves will die of disease. I will completely destroy the land and demolish her pride. Her arrogant power will come to an end. The mountains of Israel will be so desolate that no one will even travel through them. When I have completely destroyed the land because of their detestable sins, then they will know that I am the Lord. So these are the consequences of sin, of worldly living. And he says, I will judge you according to your deeds. But the Israelites, they're saying, but this is our possession. We deserve this. Not because of anything they did, but just because it was Abraham's first and their descendants of Abraham. So this land belongs to us. But God is saying, no, because of your sins, because you've been disobedient to me, I am taking away that possession. And it's like the, <laughs> the example that comes, this is a funny example, but in youth group, uh, we have some middle school boys and they're the best. I love their energy and the, just everything about, my other middle school leader isn't here right now, but he would agree. They're goofy and they're fun and it's awesome. I love leading them. But sometimes they have a hard time staying focused. And I understand, listen, after a long day of school or whatever, it's hard to sit and focus on the Bible. And we have fun and stuff, but sometimes they just have a hard time focusing. So, Every once in a while, if I can tell it's going to be a rough week, I say, if you guys stay focused and behave yourselves throughout our small group time, you'll get some candy at the end. And usually that is, listen, if you're trying to get a middle school boy to listen, Lincoln knows he's in our middle school boy group. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> sorry, Lincoln. Um, he's actually a very well-behaved one. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> but... Um, Usually that's like a great incentive, right, for, um, for some of those students. But there are weeks where uh, maybe they still aren't focused even after I give them that option. And then still at the end of group, they'll say, we get our candy now, right? It's like, no, you don't get your candy because you weren't focused. That's not how this, you don't get, you don't earn the reward when you don't meet the prerequisites for getting the reward. And in the same way, you won't receive the blessings of the Lord if you are not obedient to him. Ooh, that one came from him just now. That wasn't even on my paper. If you, you will not receive the blessings of the Lord if you are not obedient to him. Your disobedience disqualifies you from his blessings. So we'll keep reading, uh, verses 30 through 33. Son of man, your people talk about you in their houses and whisper about you at the doors. They say to each other, come on, let's go hear the prophet tell us what the Lord is saying. So my people come pretending to be sincere and sit before you. They listen to your words, but they have no intention of doing what you say. Their mouths are full of lustful words and their hearts seek only after money. You are very entertaining to them like someone who sings love songs with a beautiful voice or plays fine music on an instrument. 
And they hear what you say, but they don't act on it. But when all these terrible things happen to them, as they certainly will, then they will know a prophet has been among them. I think that passage right there is so convicting for us today. Because how often do we come to church and we sit and maybe we listen to music or we listen to a message and we're just coasting through? Right? We come, it's our entertainment for a week. Or maybe it's your, your checklist. You're just checking church off of your checklist for the week. And you think you're doing God a favor by doing that. You think, okay, I deserve my blessing now because I came to church. How often do we, do we sit and maybe we listen to the message and maybe we even genuinely worship, but then right when the announcements are over at the end, we're out the door talking about what we want to get for lunch and, and we're unchanged. And the same is true for like even just daily uh, time with God, daily devotional time. And if you don't have daily devotional time, that's the first step right there. But if, that's, uh, if, if you do do that, are you truly making that moment a, a sanctifying moment? Are you taking what you're learning in those moments? Are you listening to the Lord and changing your life based off of that? Or are you just sitting and, and, like I said, just checking it off your list or doing it because it makes you feel good or whatever else? Are you being sanctified or are you just coasting? Are you truly following Christ or are you just using him for grace or forgiveness? That's another big one. And you can read about that in, in Romans 6. Paul hits on that one. Are you abusing his grace or are you truly chasing after him? Are you truly seeking relationship with him? We'll keep moving. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 10. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, wear the wool, and butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for any wild animal. They have wandered through all the mountains and all the hills across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone to search for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, you abandoned my flock and left them to be attacked by every wild animal. And though you were my shepherds, you didn't search for my sheep when they were lost. You took care of yourselves and left the sheep to starve. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I now consider these shepherds my enemies, and I will hold them responsible for what has happened to my flock. I will take away their right to feed the flock, and I will stop them from feeding themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths. The sheep will no longer be their prey." He says, I will consider these shepherds my enemies. Bad shepherds are enemies of God. And listen, this doesn't just apply to people in church leadership. This is all of us. 
We are all shepherds in some capacity, just like Charlie said during communion. We're not just members. We're not just sitting here coasting through. We are all ministers in one way or another, whether you realize it or not. We are all shepherds in one way or another, whether you realize it or not. Whether you're, you're a parent, you're a shepherd to your kids. If obviously, for pastors, we're shepherds to a congregation. If you're a 12-year-old boy in middle school, you're a shepherd to your friend group. I don't care who you are, you are a shepherd in one way or another. But if you're a bad shepherd, he says you are an enemy of God. And that is huge. How are we shepherding? Are we being good shepherds or are we being bad shepherds? Are we leaving people to run astray? Are we allowing people to just go off in their sin and, and do what they want to do, live their truth because you're afraid to be offensive, you're afraid to hurt their feelings? Because that's a bad shepherd and bad shepherds are enemies of God. We are called to run after the sheep and bring them back into the flock. And what that looks like in a practical sense is calling people out on their sin, saying, hey, you've strayed away. You're not following God anymore. You're doing these things that are separating you from the Lord's flock. So you need to repent of those things, turn back and come back to the flock. And those are difficult conversations. I understand it's hard to do that sometimes, and we don't want to be offensive, but it's necessary. Sometimes we have to be offensive shepherds in order to bring people back into the flock. A bad shepherd is an enemy of the Lord. And I know this is a lot of Old Testament, so I brought some New Testament too. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 11 talks a little bit more about bad shepherds, about false teachers. So background on this, Paul, uh, his first letter to the Corinthians, uh, we studied that for, what was it, like a year? That was a long series. But um, between sending that letter um, and writing his second letter to the Corinthians, these people showed up. And they were just these arrogant people, um, and they were teaching the Corinthians false teachings. And they called themselves, literally, this isn't a joke, they call themselves super apostles um, and are teaching the Corinthian church these things that are not true. So Paul writes in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, uh, we'll just start in verse 1, and I'll jump around a little bit, so... uh, We'll try to follow along. If you have your Bible, that's also a great way to follow along. But uh, 2 Corinthians 11.1, 1, I hope you'll put up a little more with my foolishness. Please bear with me, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. And listen, that's how shepherds should be. We should be jealous for winning the flock back. We should be jealous when we see a sheep from the flock go to another flock or wander out into the wilderness. We need to be jealous for that sheep and want to win them back. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach or a different kind of spirit than the one you received or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. And that is true to today. We so badly just want to be affirmed. We so badly just want to be told what we want to hear. 
So we seek out these churches or these pastors or these people, friend groups, communities, whatever it is, that affirm us where we're at. And they're preaching a false Jesus, a false gospel, a false spirit. And that's exactly what Paul warns about. We need to be vigilant against those sorts of teachings and reject them in favor for truth, even if it offends us, even if it's difficult, even if it calls us to be different from how we currently are. We'll jump down uh, to verse 13. Paul says, These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That's tough. Are you following Satan? Are you deceived? You think you're following the light? But it's actually the enemy? I think we all can ask ourselves that question. I'll jump over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy is, again, Paul writing, but this time to his mentee, Timothy, who's a young pastor. He says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. They will say it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods, but God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. For we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. People will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. We have to be vigilant of what we're taking in. We have to be weary of our teachers, of our watchmen, of our prophets, of our shepherds, of the content we're consuming? Is it in accordance with God's word? Or is it deception from the enemy? And there's so many examples today of things that are happening in our world that so clearly go against scripture. And of course, it's one thing for non-Christians to live those lifestyles and do those things because you can't judge a non-Christian according to Scripture. At least we can't. But a lot of these things are being affirmed by churches and Christians and pastors. So I actually compiled, just off the top of my head, I went through a few major topics and I compiled, I have a few news articles here from real sources, these like NPR, Washington Post, um, like genuine news articles about some false teachings that are happening in the world today, many of which are affirmed and even supported by the church. So the first one I have here, this news article, says, why you might notice more religious groups at pride celebrations this year. 
So I think one major deception is uh, the LGBTQ plus movement and the idea of pride. And I'm not here to argue whether or not these things are sin or not. You can discuss that with God, and I promise you he'll give you an answer. Uh, You can read in his word, and it gives you an answer. Um, And if you want to have a discussion about some of these things after service, I'd be more than happy to. But uh, this article specifically, talking about religious groups affirming pride celebrations. In California, six houses of worship Five churches and a synagogue had booths lined up all in a row. Um, I'll just paraphrase, but they all had um, all sorts of of pride-affirming and and pro-pride gifts and things to hand out. One person in particular, uh, this is actually a rabbi, but um, many churches had these same views. It says, you can have both of these things, and that is a rabbi referring to Um, homosexual behavior as well as faith in the Lord. And it says she added that you don't have to suppress a piece of you to exist. You may not have to suppress a piece of you to exist, but you do have to crucify parts of your flesh to be obedient to the Lord. You have to crucify pieces of you. I don't Listen, and this is where it gets tough. These are some of the difficult discussions. But like I said, I'd love to have further conversations about these things. But if you're struggling with things in, in any of this stuff that I'm about to talk about, you have to crucify aspects of yourself so that you will line up in accordance with the Lord. You can't live your own way and say, this, this is how God made you. It is not how God made you. He created humans a specific way. And because we are the product of a fallen world, because we're the product of sin, we have to do the work to get back to the glory of God. We have to crucify pieces of ourselves in obedience to the Lord. Another article um, talks about the affirmation of pedophilia. It says, pedophile, child lover, or minor attracted person. Attitudes towards labels among people who are sexually attracted to children. This article um, is actually an academic journal article um, that explains that the term pedophile is offensive and conflated with sexual offending behavior and tainted with stigma. So they argue that the term minor attracted person should be used instead because it's less offensive. Or, alternatively, uh, the term pedophile should be reclaimed to destigmatize it so that it is viewed as acceptable. I think God pretty clearly says that we're to protect our children. And this is not protecting our children, especially if a church is affirming these sorts of things. We'll be judged according to our deeds, says the Lord. We'll move on. Abortion also um, has ties to Molech worship, which, by the way, still happens today. I have an article on the Bohemian Grove, which I won't read, but that is... Um, this article talks about how the most powerful people in the world go into the woods and worship a 40-foot 
owl statue um, and perform fake sacrifices. Um, so that is intriguing. That's some Molech worship happening today. Uh, we see coping mechanisms are another big one. Things like pills, drugs, alcohol, all these things, addictions, things that are so common in our culture today, things that people affirm, even um, like prescribed medications that a doctor tells you you need. I wonder how much less pharmaceuticals would be around in America if we would go to God first, if we would ask the Lord for healing, if we would come to him before we try to just cover up our symptoms with a pill or alcohol or any other addiction. Sexual immorality. I have an article on porn. It says 68 million searches on the internet, which is 25% of searches on the internet are related to porn. And it says, but what about Christians? According to Barna Research, which is an organization that does research um, regarding the church, it says 68% of church-going men and more than 50% of pastors regularly view porn. And when it comes to Christians 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively search for porn. This is an issue that obviously is affecting the church. It's having an impact on the church. We see things like idolatry of things even as simple as celebrities or athletes, social media. But all of these things, right, we're called to be offensive shepherds. Even though maybe some of these things are lifestyles that people would consider living their best life or living their truth or whatever else, we're called to be offensive shepherds. So if people within the church are living these types of lifestyles, are exhibiting these types of behaviors, we are called to go and, and convict them and say, hey, this is sin. You need to turn from this because you have left the flock. You have forfeited your blessing from the Lord because you're choosing disobedience. So we as shepherds, we as the church need to go out, find these people. If you know somebody who has strayed, who is living in disobedience, it's our job to bring these people back into the Lord's flock. And that's maybe offensive to those people, but it is the most loving thing that you can do. Because it may be difficult here on earth for them to resist their fleshly desires, to resist the desires of the world but I would rather suffer here on earth and give up some desires of the flesh if it means that I get to live eternity with the Lord. And I think that's where we all need to be as Christians and that's where our heart needs to be when we're talking to these people, convicting these people, whoever it is. And we all sin. I'm not saying these people. I'm saying any of us, if any of us are living in sin, I'm preaching to myself as well, this was a convicting message for me to write for myself. We need to be offensive shepherds. We need to bring these people back into the flock, even if it means making them upset. Parents, 
I think this is a scary time to be a parent because I think there's a war being waged against our children. And I'm not a parent, but I know many of you are. And there's a war being waged against our children. And I'm not anti-school. I'm not saying anything negative about schools or teachers. My mom's a teacher. I think uh, education in schools are so important, and I support our schools and our school system. But I don't think it's any secret seeing so many videos, so many news articles, so many social media posts of some of the things that I've seen in schools, that I've experienced myself in school, both at a public high school and at a Christian university, that are so obviously warfare tactics against children to take them away from the Lord and draw them into the enemy's grasp. And that's why it's so important to find your child a good community and a good shepherd, whether that's Vive Kids. Vive Kids is amazing. That's a great community for your kids to get involved with, to be with other believers their own age. Rev Youth, of course, as the youth pastor, I'm going to talk about Rev Youth as much as I can, but man, that's a great way to get teenage students, maybe some of the most attacked people in our world today, some of the people the enemy wants the most in our world today, to get them consistently in scripture and in relationship with other believers their own age. Find yourself, find your children, a good shepherd. And we'll work with parents too. This isn't just a bring your kid to church so they can have a relationship with God. We want to work with parents too so the same things are happening at home. We want to walk alongside you to ensure that your children are being shepherded. We see a lot of deceit going on, not just in our world, but we read about it all throughout Scripture. We're warned of the enemy being deceitful. If you read Revelation, you'll read about the dragon and the two beasts that specifically come to deceive the world and make them worship Satan rather than God. I think it's in 2 Thessalonians where it's warned that there will be a man of lawlessness that will claim to be God, be in the temple of the Lord, saying that he is God, but deceive the world into following him instead of the true God. We read in 1 Peter, and I love this passage, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. It says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He's a great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. Peter says that the devil is a lion. And lions are ferocious. Lions are scary. And he's prowling around and he wants to devour you. He wants to devour your children. He wants to devour Christians and non-Christians alike. And it can be scary going up against a lion. But let me tell you something. 
our God, Jesus Christ, is the Lion of Judah, and he is a far more ferocious lion than the enemy could ever be, and we know the end of the story. We know that that lion wins. We know that the dragon will be cast into the pit of fire. We know that he has no power over us. We know that through the blood of Christ, through the sacrifice that he made for us, we are God's. We are the Lord's possession. We are a part of his flock, and the enemy, that, that lion, that dragon, has no power over us because we belong to the Lord. And the worship team, you guys can come up, but I'll keep reading. Back to Ezekiel, chapter 34, verses 11 through 16. It says, For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. The Lord himself will come search and find his sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and nations. This is the parable of the lost sheep. This is what we just sang about, the parable of the lost son. It's the same story. This is what's happening. This is what the Lord is doing. He's coming and being our shepherd because no worldly shepherd can do what the Lord can do. It says, I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and nations. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and in all the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good pasture land on the hills of Israel. They will lie down in pleasant places and feed in the lush pastures in the hills. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away and I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. But I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. I will feed them, yes, I will feed them justice. The Lord brings us home. And that's the gospel message because our shepherd came down from heaven. He redeemed us. He purchased us with his blood. And then he welcomed us back in to the Father's house. He welcomed us back into the Father's house. He reconciled us with the Father so that we can have a relationship with him. And we don't deserve it. We don't deserve to be in the Father's house because we're disobedient. We're bad sheep. But he loves us so much that he came down to be our shepherd to bring us back home. And by the way, Jesus was an offensive shepherd. He doesn't let his sheep go and do whatever they want because he knows in the wilderness that's where that lion is, waiting to devour us. That's why he was killed, for being offensive. And that's a great example for today's shepherds. We need to know what's best for our flock and do that, even if it's offensive, rather than doing what the sheep think is best for them, what the sheep try and convince us, or what maybe even we try to convince ourselves is what we need. Is it in accordance with Scripture? 
Don't be afraid to be offensive. Find offensive shepherds. Be an offensive shepherd. Convict yourself on your sin and convict others on their sin. That's iron sharpening iron. That's what we're called to do as Christians. I have one last passage finishing out uh, this section of chapter 34, verses 17 through 24. It says, And as for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says to his people. I will judge between one animal of the flock and another, separating the sheep from the goats. Isn't it enough for you to keep the best of your pastors for yourselves? Must you also trample down the rest? Isn't it enough for you to drink clear water for yourselves? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Why must my flock eat what you have trampled down and drink water you have fouled? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will surely judge between the fat sheep and the scrawny sheep. For you fat sheep pushed and butted and crowded my sick and hungry flock until you scattered them to distant lands. So I will rescue my flock and they will no longer be abused. I will judge between one animal of the flock and another, and I will set them over one shepherd, my servant David, who, by the way, is a type of Jesus. He will feed them and be a shepherd to them, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among my people. I, the Lord, have spoken. So are you a sheep or a goat? He says he'll separate the sheep from the goats. Are you one of the fat sheep or are you one of the scrawny sheep? Where are you at? Because you need to be a good shepherd, but you also need to be a good sheep. Are you obedient to the shepherd or not? As the Lord says, we will be judged according to our deeds. So be good shepherds, be good sheep. Let's pray. God, I pray just that your word has pierced the hearts, our hearts today, Lord. I pray that this wouldn't just be a message that goes one in one ear and out the other. I pray that hearts are truly pierced, that, that this message from you, Lord, would bring sanctification, that it would bring repentance. God, we thank you for being our shepherd. We thank you for being the perfect example of what we should be as shepherds. We pray against all of the evil in this world. Pray that you would open our eyes to see the plans of the enemy. Because Lord, we know what happens in the end. We know that you are victorious, but in the meantime, Lord, help us to fight against our great enemy, the devil. Lord, help us to be good shepherds. Help us to be good sheep. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.